Thank you, Wes. It is great to be with you guys on this like chilly-ish um, autumn morning. So excited about bringing the series to a close. And for those of you that that love the Word of God, I decided to preach on the Amplified this morning because I felt like we just needed extra words, you know. So, and because my Amplified Bible is has literally got the like top four text, I decided to wear glasses. So this is not my usual look, um, but I need glasses so that I can read the Bible. It is, is what it is. Lauren was telling me when you turn 40, things change. I asked one of them. <laughs> so that's where we are. So let's quickly read the word and then we'll, we'll pray. And me and the clicker, we are best friends. It helps if you turn it on. And there we go. All right. So from the Amplified Bible. If, brothers, if any person is overtaken... Now, you see, this version is very old. Let's read this version. (laughs) If anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, that is, you who are responsive to the guidance of the Spirit. So if you ever wanted to know what spiritual means, this is why we have the Amplified Bible. It is, spirit, the definition of spiritual is that it is you who are responsive to the guidance of the Spirit. I want to be spiritual. I want to be responsive to the guidance of the Spirit. You are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, not with a sense of superiority or self-righteousness, keeping a watchful eye on yourself so that you are not tempted as well. Carry one another burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the requirements of the law of Christ. That is the law of Christian love. For anyone, if anyone thinks he is something special, when in fact... He is nothing special except in his own eyes. He deceives himself. But each one must carefully scrutinize his own work, examining his actions, attitudes, and behavior. And then he can have the personal satisfaction and inner joy of doing something commendable without comparing himself to another. For every person will have to bear with patience his own burden of faults and shortcomings for which he alone is responsible. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to ask you to help us be spirit-filled and to ask us to help to ask you to help us live in your love. Father God, I pray that it would be your spirit that works today as we bring as I bring the word. I ask that you would plant love seeds in hearts, Lord Jesus, that you would tend soil that has become rocky, that you would water grounds and prune where pruning is needed, Lord God. We just ask that your spirit would move here today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm very challenged by this verse, because, or this passage of Galatians, and this is just the first half of what I'm going to preach on today, because it really asks us as God followers, as Christ believers, it really asks us to examine our own hearts. And I want to ask Marina to come up. Where is the mic? 
She's shaking her head at me, but I'm not letting her get out of this. <laughs> Marina has, um, has a testimony to read. Hang on, let's do this. Let's push this button for a long time. Okay, let's push this other button and now it's on. <laughs> so I'm giving a short testimony and obviously there's a lot of other information that goes with it so you're welcome and I invite you to speak to me afterwards or during the week. So on Good Friday when all of you were here at the service I was sitting at home and God got my attention and I wrote this testimony last Friday morning. He got my attention and every day since and today I want to repent of my wrong thinking. <clears throat> if I were to die today, my entry into heaven is not based on my faith and good works. It's not based on what I can do, on my life experience or your qualifications. I don't have qualifications. It's not based on my ministry and my gifts and my busyness. It's also not based on my privilege to be a stay-at-home mom or a volunteer to volunteer full-time for a non-profit. None of these things are grounds to enter into heaven. It's all about God. It's all about God the Father and his decision to sacrifice his son Jesus, the sinless man, the savior, the man on the middle cross, he died for me and he rose again. He pardoned me. He declared my sinful soul is counted free. I may look strong, but I'm not strong. I'm not doing wonderfully well. I can't figure it all out. I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. I thought I had all the answers. No. I'm constantly aware of my pride in my life how good I am, or how much I can do. I often live in despair. I live with depression. How more boldly can I say it? But God, I've got this in bold, I've got it highlighted, I've got it circled, but God. With God, it can only and should only be a death to self and dependence on Him. I give up. I let go of my control. Because of you, Jesus, because of you, Jesus, I surrender all to you. Today I repent. I receive your forgiveness, God, and you restore joy to my life. 
And then I'm just going to end off with a verse which Jenny and I added this morning. 2 Corinthians 2.14 But thanks be to God, who always leads me in triumph, in Christ, and spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Amen. Amen. There you go, Wes. Thank you, Marina. I want you to bank what Marina has just shared with you. I'm going to come back to it a little bit later on. But let's, let's quickly um, just recap Galatians so that we can understand what the foundation is for what I'm going to preach on this morning. So, remember that the church of Galatians was being written a letter by Paul. And this is the first letter that Paul has, has written after he's been in the mission field. And he's writing to Galatians, a church that he helped to plant. And he's saying to them, hey guys, you've gotten it a bit wrong. You have started to rely on the old law, the old law that we find in the Torah. You've started to rely on the old law as your source of uh, redemption and grace and right standing when that's not how it should be. And what has crept into this church is that if you are not circumcised, you're a second-class citizen or a second-class Christian. If you're not keeping the Sabbath, you are a second-class Christian. If you, were, um, if you were Jewish and you've received Christ and you're eating with Gentiles, that's not okay. You shouldn't be doing that. And so what has happened is a hierarchy has been created. And Christ didn't come to install hierarchies. He came to break them down. He came to make us all the same in him. And so we have a church family now where there is separateness. There isn't inclusion. It's not a family anymore. It's an organization based on how well you are living according to the old Torah law. And so what he comes to say is he says, no, guys, the law is not the way. Christ is the way. And Christ is preaching a free and loving response, not bondage in law. And so he says, it is open to all. This free and loving response is open to everybody and you don't have to be circumcised and you don't have to keep the Sabbath and you feel free to eat whatever you want with whoever you want. That is what Paul comes to say. And so he preaches this new law of love. He says the whole law has been fulfilled in one commandment. And we find this commandment um, Jesus preaches this commandment in Matthew 22. And he says, the whole Lord has been fulfilled with one commandment. You will love your neighbor as yourself. Not you will love the Gentile, not you will love the Jew, not you will love the sinner. You will love your neighbor, whoever happens to be sitting next to you, whoever happens to be in your presence, you will love them as yourself. And so this becomes the new law of love. 
Now, this word fulfilled is very intentionally used because when the um, Jewish the, the Jewish Torah has a different relationship with law. The law is to be observed. The law is to be guarded. The law is to be kept. These are very subservient, you're serving the law, very subservient verbs. But Paul says no. Christ has fulfilled all of this. He has kept it. He has observed it. He has guarded it. Just in the fact that he died on the cross. And so all of that is done. It's been kept. It is complete. We get righteousness through a different route. And then he goes on to say, you have faith working in love, in Galatians 5 verse 6, and I want you to order your steps by partnering with the Holy Spirit. So the law has been squashed by love because of the cross, and he wants us to partner with the Holy Spirit in every step that we take in our lives. This is the formula for Christian living. And so Galatians chapter 6, sorry, Galatians chapter 5 then says, what happens if you partner with the Spirit? You produce fruit. You produce a harvest. How many of you know that in order to get a harvest, you need to plant something? So that means that the Spirit needs to work in you and needs to work with you to eventually produce a harvest of some kind of fruit. And that fruit, what does it look like? It looks like love. It looks like joy. It looks like peace. It looks like patience. It looks like kindness. It looks like long-suffering. That's what the fruit looks like but it is, the commentaries say, that's not an all-exhaustive and extensive list. There could be other good fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in us, okay? And so this is what we're working towards. As individuals, we're working towards people who love God and partner with the Holy Spirit so that He grows in us what He needs to harvest when the time is right. And that is what freedom in Christ looks like for an individual. But Galatians 6, 1 to 10, talks about how does that then get built out? What does that look like in community? This, us all sitting here, we are a community. Now I look out and I see people here, I don't know your name, I've never met you. We've never really locked eyes. I see people here who I know your name and we've been in kind of an orbit and uh, we say hi. I see people here who are sitting in my life group. I see people here who I do life with and I eat food in their home and I WhatsApp them on an every other day basis, okay? Doesn't, the fact that you and I have never shook hands or locked eyes doesn't make us less in community. So this is not talking about my relationship with my husband or my relationship with my good friends. This is talking about the body, the community of believers. And so the question is, what is it supposed to look like? 
when we live a Holy Spirit-led life as a community of believers. So we go back to Galatians 6, 1 verse 5, and we have a look at this verse, and we say, okay, now that we know the context, now that we know we have a new law of love and a partnership with the Holy Spirit, what does that look like for us in our relationships with each other? And this verse can sometimes be used to justify us correcting one another and coming to each other and saying, hey, listen, Paul, he's not here, so I, can talk about, I shouldn't talk about him behind his back. Okay, let's do this. Hey, listen, Wes, <clears throat> I don't think you should wear tackies when you're on the platform. I don't think you should wear trainers. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's smart enough. I don't think it honors the Lord. <clears throat> I don't think you are dressing smart enough that honors the Lord. That is not what the scripture is about. This scripture is not about correction or just giving people free reign to run around the church looking to see, right, who needs restoration? Let me bring a word of correction because that'll restore them. It's not going to restore them. And that's not a Holy Spirit response. This verse, hmm, There's a slide missing, but that's okay. This verse is a lot more about our own hearts. Let's look at the parts that are about others, all right? Verse one, brothers, if anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, that is you who are responsive to the guidance of the spirit, are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Restore, gently, That verse is about what we do with other people. Let's look at the second. Oh, there it is. You found it. You're amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Right. So the yellow stuff is what we do with other people, not to other people, with other people. Restore gently. What do we do? What else do we do with other people? We carry one another's burdens. That's it. That is what it looks like when the Holy Spirit is working in us as a community. That is what we do with one another, not to one another. The rest of this passage talks about how we need to position ourselves if we are going to be people that want to work with people to restore them. If you aren't positioning your heart correctly, you should not be working with people to restore them. First, it's about your orientation to the Holy Spirit, and then it's about the restoration of others. So what does it say about how we should be restoring others? It says, You who are spiritual, that is you who are responsive to the guidance of the Spirit, we are to be responsive. Keep a watchful eye on yourself so that you are not tempted. For if anyone thinks he is something special when in fact he is nothing special except in his own eyes, they had a self 
inflated sense of self back then in, the, in, in Galatia. Um, and I think we have the same problem today. Um, he deceives himself. Carefully scrutinize your own work. Examine your own actions, attitudes, and behaviors. And then you can have the personal satisfaction and inner joy of doing something commendable without comparing yourself to another. For every person will have to bear with patience his own burden of faults and shortcomings for which he alone is responsible. How do you see yourself? <clears throat> being in community is, is super, super important. Being connected to a body of believers is really important because your flesh will deceive you. Your flesh will get you to think things that are not actually accurate. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a perception of what you look like in the mirror that is different to reality. But what I want you to understand is that this is about a heart condition. So if we start restoring others, but we have a prideful position, then what happens is that we start to think that their restoration is as a result of our acts and not as a result of the Holy Spirit. And that stinks, because it's the Holy Spirit who restores. Our flesh will, receive, will deceive us and lead us into sin. And it's when we sin that we need to be gentle and we need to be spirit-led. And somebody needs to come alongside us with gentleness. Somebody who's not tempted to feel proud. Somebody who can acknowledge that they too are a sinner and that they too have had struggles and that they can relate some of those struggles because they've brought those struggles to the Father and the Father has been able to deal with that. Dean, I'm looking for that Restore Gently slide. So know this. There we go. Know this, it is the responsibility of every person who is responsive to the Spirit to restore others when they see or know that they are struggling with something. If you are responsive to the Spirit and you have been stirred, your heart has been stirred in the direction of somebody else, it is your responsibility to walk with that person. This is not a fire and forget kind of correction. This is a, I'm coming alongside you. I'm taking your arm. I'm holding you and walking with you through this. And when it gets too heavy, I'm going to carry that burden with you. And I'm not going to feel proud about the fact that I'm helping you or the fact that I'm working with you, and I'm not going to talk about it to other people because this needs to be a safe space. This needs to be a safe place where you know that you can be restored and you can share things with me and you can be vulnerable with me and you can hear what, I can hear all the things that you have to say and it's not going to get out into the community. Because when pride works in people that are working with others, that's sometimes what happens. They feel the need to talk about it to everybody else. 
If you find yourself needing to talk about the work you're doing with somebody else, that is what the Galatians is talking. Galatians six is talking about when it says, "Lest you fall into temptation." Don't be tempted to boast or brag about the work you are doing in restoring another person. It's God who's doing that work, not you. Now, the other problem that we have that this guy has is what's called, what I like to call. It's actually not me. It's Rick Velodas. Anybody who knows Rick Velodas. The false self trap. The false self trap happens to Christians who feel the need to protect their status. You may have been a Christian for some time. You may be a leader. You may be a little bit of a control freak. And feel that everything needs to be perfect, but your identity here is actually based on human approval. Your identity here is based on people thinking, "Yeah, that person is such a leader. Did you see how they prayed? Did you see how they served? Did you see how they poured tea? Did you see how they... I don't know. Did you see how they looked after those children?" And all of a sudden, your identity became, becomes what people see in you, and not necessarily what Christ is seeing in you. And so, you start to need to manipulate outcomes and protect that identity. You want to look good, and so an element of pretend or pretentiousness comes in. And because you're pretending, you have a lot to protect, because you have to avoid shame, and so these walls go up. Now, if you are a leader and you have put up walls, you cannot connect with others where they are, because you won't be able to share vulnerably about what you have been through and about the work that God is doing in you. And so, you don't—you feel like you don't need help. This can happen to anybody who's found God and then all of a sudden says. Actually, don't need God's help. I've got this, Lord. You can have everything else in my life, but this piece, I've got this under control. I don't need your help here. And as soon as you start segmenting pieces of your life where you don't feel that you need God's help, you have this problem. You are not seeing yourself accurately. You are not seeing that God needs to be helping you in every element and area of your life. That you need to be submitting everything to Him. Because if God can't access an area of your life, He can't heal that part of you. And how does this happen? Well, it can happen because we feel like we have everything under control. But to an element, to on the other side of things, it can happen because we actually don't feel that we are worthy. We feel that we're a little bit too flawed. To bring that area to God. So on the one side we've got major pride, but on the other side of this equa equation we can have major shame. What is shame? Shame's an, 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 anal an analogy for shame or an anagram for shame. Should have already mastered everything. So. 
Perhaps as a leader, you feel like, I should have this sorted. I should not be struggling with this again. I struggled with this as a teenager, and I got freedom from it. And now here I am, and, and I'm 35, and I'm struggling with this again. I should have mastered this. And so you feel so ashamed about it that you can't bring it to the cross or you can't bring it into an accountability relationship that you may have, because that shame is blocking you from connecting, that shame is blocking you from acknowledging that you have this problem. Another way, another way that shame can creep in is because we are comparing ourselves to people. Wow, look at that 43-year-old. Look how she's got it together. She's amazing and I start comparing myself to somebody else, and all of a sudden, who I am is not good enough, because I'm comparing myself to another person. Now, this can happen at every phase of life, not just when you're 43, okay? So, for our young adults, oh, did you see that bursary she got? She's so lucky. I wish I had a bursary. I'm clearly not clever enough to get a bursary. I am just obviously not good enough haven't mastered it enough. Did you see that career opportunity he got? Wow, he's going to go work for a bank. And you know how cool it is to work for a bank? You get a really good interest rate on car loans and home loans. I wish I could work for a bank. Really? No offense to all of our bankers. We love you. And so you, you think you're not good enough because you didn't get a job at a bank. You got a job at an advertising industry, in the advertising industry, where you get to be creative all day. Love the lane you are in. Because you are a unique recipe, and God has a unique design. Firstly, science. Your DNA is completely unique from anybody else. Even if you have an identical twin, it doesn't matter. There are still completely unique combinations of the DNA in you. That's where it starts. Your experience in utero was unique from anybody else's. Your childhood, those first thousand days that they say are so important, is different, regardless of whether you're siblings and you had the same stable parent household upbringing. It doesn't matter, completely unique. Then you went on to some form of schooling. Then you went on to some form of after-schooling education, whether it was you know, the school of life, or you were lucky enough to go to a college or a university. And all of these experiences build on top of one another. They get layered until you are a unique expression of all of that. Nobody, you cannot compare yourself to anyone else because you are completely unique. And what that means is that in the right season, if you partner with the Holy Spirit, you will produce unique fruit that is here for a unique purpose on this planet. You are the only one that can do what God has asked you to do. And if it's not in a bank, that's okay. And if your unique purpose is to raise four children so that they go on to do what it is that God has called them to do, that is amazing. And if your unique purpose is to be a missionary, 
then go on the Kairos course, get equipped so that you know what you're doing. I have to punt the Kairos course. It's Dan's favorite thing on the planet. <laughs> as soon as we start comparing ourselves to other people, we start looking inwards and we stop looking at what God wants us to see. We stop asking God to work with us, to work with our unique formula. That is what comparison does. Comparison stops us from looking outwards to see who can I work with, whose burdens can I carry? Because we're so busy comparing ourselves to who we think we should be. Your life is your expression of your response to God's new law of love. And when you partner with the Holy Spirit, you produce fruit that nobody else on this planet can produce. Now, the other thing that can happen is instead of looking at ourselves and doing that self-work, we start to blame others. So we look around and we say, no, 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 no. I'm, I want to shift the accountability for the pride that is in my life, or I want to shift the accountability for the lack of love in my life, or I want to shift the accountability for the fact that I just don't feel like really working with people and restoring them. I'm going to shift that accountability to others. I'm going to blame other people. I'm going to give them ownership of this fault in my life. And all of a sudden, we are, giving the, we are blaming people for the state of our own hearts. Or we are shifting the accountability for our relationship with the Lord to the church leadership. What does this look like? You know, I brought a friend to church, and then there was an altar call, and and they didn't get saved. And it's all Paul's fault, because he didn't do an altar call. Or, you know that addiction that I had when I was 18? Um, yeah, Wes spoke about addiction, and then he didn't do ministry time at the end. So now I still have it, because Wes didn't do ministry time at the end. So I still have that addiction, it's all Wes's fault. My line just hasn't run enough women's events this year, you know? I just haven't been able to connect with other women and build friendships in the church because there weren't enough women's events. No, guys. This is where we are giving accountability for our spiritual growth to other people. We are accountable for those things. If you have a friend who needs to meet Jesus, bring them to church and then walk with them carry their burdens, and restore them gently. I wasn't able to connect with God this morning because the song choice was so random. <laughs> People can come beside you. The worship team can play an amazing set, but it is up to you to surrender your own heart to God. And when you blame other people, when you shame other people, because what I just did was very shaming, all of that language, blaming other people was very, very shaming. It blocks vulnerability. And if we become a church where people can't be vulnerable, then we become a church where restoration is not going to be possible. And while we're on the subject, of ministry. 
Galatians 6, verse 6, Paul addresses how we need to be in our hearts and how we need to relate to others, and he addresses very clearly how we need to relate to our ministry leaders. The one who is taught the word of God is to share all good things with his teacher, contributing to his spiritual and material support. Can you say all good things? When Marina phones Paul and she says to him, Paul, I have something on my heart that I want to share at church. And she's able to stand and she's able to talk vulnerably to a room of people she has never locked eyes with. Stand there as a ministry leader, stand there as an elder's wife, show what it means to be vulnerable, show what it means to lay pride aside. That is sharing a good thing with the body. All good things means our time. So if Paul asks you to do, I don't know, an announcement, no, Wes will ask you to do an announcement. Oh, please, will you, can, please, can we use your face and your voice and film you, and it won't take much, we promise. All good things, guys. <laughs> if you're asked to pour tea, time. If you're asked to pay 50 bucks to a women's event, and you've got a hundred, sponsor another woman. All good things. Time, resources, money, all good things. We are to support the work of our ministry. This does not happen without volunteers. I mean, just the volunteer team alone today is probably more than 25 people who are volunteering today. They're not paid. They get up, they're here at quarter to eight, most of them. Seven. Some of them are here at seven. And then like the really lucky ones, the visitors table people, we let them get here at Hopper's eight. But all good things. 25 people made this service happen this morning and that's not even taking into account what it took during the week to make this happen. <clears throat> right. Galatians 6, 7-9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. He will not allow himself to be ridiculed, nor treated with contempt, nor allow his precepts to be scornfully set aside. For whatever a man sows, this and this only will he reap. For the one who sows to his flesh, his sinful capacity, his worldliness, his disgraceful impulses, will reap from the flesh ruin and destruction. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary or become discouraged in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap if we do not give in. God is not mocked. We are created beings. We can't pull the wool over the eyes of the Creator. He made us. He knows us. We can't outwit him. God knows that area of your life that you are feeling ashamed about already. 
before you've even brought it to him, before you've even submitted it to him, he already knows and he wants you to give it over. There is somebody in this church body who is there to walk with you. You need to submit. There is somebody who is ready to walk with you, to restore you, to carry your burden when it gets too heavy. Sometimes we need an outside perspective to see more clearly. God is not mocked. He knows what it is that you are already dealing with, and he wants you to bring it to him. Now, this passage goes on to talk about... Wrong way. There's a lot of repetition in here. (laughs) Gosh. Dean, I'm looking for the picture of the sowing and the agriculture. There we go. Thank you, Dean. <clears throat> okay. In the Bible, God... You just, you just can't take yourself too seriously, guys. I mean, it just is what it is. Okay. In the Bible, God uses, and, and Jesus uses, this um, picture of sowing and reaping all the time. It's a very, very biblical... Um, picture that we see. So in Proverbs 22 verse 8, it says, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. Those who plow iniquity and sow trouble will reap the same, Job 4 verse 8. Hosea 10 verse 12, sow righteousness and reap steadfast love. And then we have the parable of the sower, which we reframed last year to the parable of the soil. Do you remember? Okay. And what we're saying here is, have you sowed Where have you sowed? Where? Have you sowed in rocky soil? What kind of seed have you planted? So that verse in Galatians says, if you sow, you will reap what you sowed. Have you sowed the flesh? Have you sowed worldly stuff? Have you been concentrating far too much on your career and not enough orienting that around God and where he wants to be able to use you and how available he needs you to be for him. Where are you sowing? What are you sowing? Because you will reap that, whatever it is. You will reap that. And so this verse talks about consequences. This verse talks about the fact that, unfortunately, we cannot get away from consequences. It's like the law of physics. What goes up will come down Because gravity. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Newton. Hadn't been discovered yet before sowing and reaping, so God couldn't introduce that one. But if it had, he probably would have. Uh, Was a science teacher, I really firmly believe that. But those principles of sowing and reaping and the laws of physics... It's how God demonstrates the fact that we reap the consequences of where it is that we have sowed and how we have oriented our lives. So how are you orienting your life? Is your life oriented around parties? Is it oriented around friends? Is it oriented around career? Is it oriented around your marriage? Luxury holidays? I mean, all of these things are nice. Don't get me wrong. They're really nice. The question is, is God in the center of it? Is God in the center of that orientation? There is nothing wrong with celebrating 
There is nothing wrong with going on a holiday. There is nothing wrong with being ambitious and wanting a, a career. There is nothing wrong with excelling at school and studying hard. But is God in the center of that orientation? Is the alignment of your identity because of the promotion that you just got, or is it because of who God is in your life? This is a daily choice to put Christ in the center, because all of these things are clambering for your attention. All of these things create noise. And so making sure that Christ is in the center and is the orientation of all of these things is essential. And there's no promise of timelines. There's no promise where God says, if you put me in the center, in two months you will get X, Y, and Z. There's no promise of timelines. There's no promise of earthly reward. But his promise is of unconditional love and acceptance. And so when we orient ourselves around Christ, we show up in all of those places looking for opportunities to restore and carry other people's burdens and not opportunities to win for ourselves. We have to partner with the Holy Spirit and with love when we sow these seeds because at the proper time, the fruit will be ready to harvest. And this is a daily, deliberate practice, conscientious and consistent, tending to the garden of your heart, making sure that it is Christ's new love that lives there, not law and legalism, but Christ's love that drives that orientation of our spirits. And... We need to partner with the Holy Spirit in all of this. So that we can walk in our community with humility and humbleness, so that people feel that they're a safe place for them to come for restoration. Now in verse 10, it talks about Dean, please, can you find verse 10 for me? In verse 10, it talks about the family, the household of faith. So then, while we as individual believers have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, not only being helpful, but also doing that which promotes their spiritual well-being, and especially be a blessing to those of the household of faith, born-again believers. This is the household of faith. Look around you. This is who we are being asked to restore. This is who we are being asked to carry their burdens. This is who we are being asked to promote their spiritual well-being. Family. This is a church family. This is God's family. And what happens in family? Right, now we can go and find family. There we go. In family, we cooperate with one another. In family, we avoid boasting and competition. In family, 
We advance one another's interests, not the interests of self. In family, we honor one another. We don't compete with one another at the other's expense. In family, we hide one another's shame from the others and from public view. In family, we are mutually committed to each other's interests, and there is a deep level of trust shared. In family, we share our resources and our material things. We maintain unity and harmony. We work towards forgiveness and reconciliation. This is a safe space where we can restore one another and carry each other's burdens when family looks like that. Now, there's a lot of us sitting here. Maybe the word family is triggering for some of you because your family didn't look like that. Your family was where our shame was publicly called out, where we didn't speak truth with grace, but it was harsh. Your family might have been a place where there was lots of competition. Maybe there was lots of competition academically or lots of competition between mom and dad. Maybe that's what it looked like. That is not what family is supposed to look like. God's picture of family is different. God's picture of family is one where we cover one another's shame and we protect one another. And there's just mutual commitment. To each other achieving and excelling. And I'm as excited for you about what God has done for you as I am about what He's doing for me. That is what family looks like. And for trust to exist, there are certain behaviors that need to disappear shame, shaming one another, and living with that sense of I haven't mastered everything yet, and so I'm too ashamed to do this, has to disappear. Holding each other accountable for our own spiritual walks, blame, has to disappear. Speaking our truth rather than speaking the truth has to disappear. Because the truth you've made up in your head may not actually be the way it really is. Sometimes I'm called in to mediate conflict in teams. And a lot of that time, that conflict started because you looked at me a certain way, and so obviously this is how you were feeling about me. And I've been carrying that around for weeks. And this team in this office has become so toxic. Because somebody has made up a story that has become their truth about how someone else felt. The only way to break that is with the truth. And for two people to come together and say, This is the story I'm making up, help me reset that. We need to speak the truth, not the truth we're making up for ourselves. 
and this is the way that advances and builds honor. So my question is, is this an atmosphere of love? Is this community an atmosphere of love because we have believers who have taken on the new way of love and they are oriented around Christ daily and they walk with the Holy Spirit and because they are positioned like that, they are able to work with and restore and carry one another's burdens. Are we a community of that kind of believer? Now, this message is not here to bring shame. This message is here to bring restoration. This message is here to say, guys, let's reorient ourselves. As a community of believers, let's reorient ourselves so that we are allowing the Holy Spirit to shine a light on the issues that we need to deal with. That is what this message is here. This message is not here to say you're a bad leader because you have brought correction the wrong way. If you're feeling like that, repent of it. Let it go and start walking with the Spirit. Do what Marina did. She wrote it down. She spoke it out. Is there anybody in this room that is judging Marina for the vulnerable word that she showed? No. We're all like, wow. What it takes to be that vulnerable is incredible. What it takes to be to allow the Spirit to give you the strength. And I know Marina well. She does not like to stand in front of 300 people. God really spoke to her to make her do that. God is asking us to come along each, each other gently. God is asking us to partner with him first before we, we do that. To love and support people in relationship. If you're not in community, you're not going to access those relationships. To love and support the community with our time, our resources, our money. To love and create a safe place for relationship building and the worship team can come up. And to make sure that the love of God is our source of acceptance. and that we're not finding our source anywhere else. The Spirit wants us to have community with others, but He needs us as a community to be a place where people can find love and acceptance without judgment and shame and blame. <clears throat> so, as the worship team plays softly, I just felt that there were three types of people that I needed to pray for and with this morning. The first are people who you were vulnerable and then you were publicly shamed and you're carrying a deep hurt and a deep wound from that shame. From that, and you were shamed and you were hurt in a church. Church hurts hurt. I want to say the worst, but I haven't experienced every kind of hurt there is, but church hurts really hurts because that was a place where you were supposed to find love and forgiveness and acceptance and instead you may have found blame and shame and ridicule and judgment. 